In about the November of 2020, do you remember 2020? Yeah, good times. My daughter Ebony announced that we as a family, we should take up hiking. I know, right? Hiking, yeah. <laughs> Ebony wants to go hiking. This is the daughter that as a little girl, if I was out shopping in town, she would have to stop every time the surface of the ground changed just so she could feel to make sure it was safe enough for her to walk on. It used to take me ages to get through town. And now the girl wants to go hiking. How much has she changed and grown up since then? So, being the loving, supporting mum that I aim to be, I was like, okay, hiking. Let's look into that and do some research. So out came good old Google and uh, Kathmandu hiking boots was, yes, the first uh, Google search question that I, um, I did. You see, because beauty matters to me and I wanted to check out how cute the hiking boots were. <laughs> if you're gonna go hiking, you're gonna look good. After um, satisfying my curiosity about the cuteness of hiking boots, I jumped into my car to further my research and took a drive out to the Evandale General Store. I love it out there for a quiet minute. It's great. They've got such beautiful stuff. And as I was browsing the homewares, I discovered this. Ta-da! The book. Day Hikes Tasmania. <laughs> so... Armed with my new book, and obviously a hot cup of tea, I um, furthered my research into hiking to satisfy my daughter's summer dreams, the things we do for our kids, right? It's quite a good book, really. It's got lots of helpful information about Tassie, the weather, you know, good times of year to go hiking and not so great times of year to go hiking. Um, the kind of gear you might need, and yes, cute boots is definitely listed. And uh, budgeting, yeah, how to budget your hike, that's in there too, yep. And then we get to this page, ready? We get to this one, titled Hazards. Yeah, Hazards, now I'm worried. You ready? You've got to check this out with me, okay? Hazards, the hazards of hiking. Here we go, exposure. Mm, all right, extreme winds, yeah, dangerous weather. I'm loving this hiking stuff. Dangerous surf. I don't know where we're going hiking, but apparently dangerous surf is, is a hazard. Mud. Mm -hmm. Water crossing. Rockiness. Yeah. Ledges. Steepness. Dense vegetation. Cushion plants. I don't know what a cushion plant is, but it sounds more like the sort of thing I might want to have a nap on. You know, halfway through my hike, have a little nap on the cushion plant. Yeah. Um, but no, apparently hazard. All right. Bicycles. Apparently bicycles are a hazard when out hiking. Vehicles, even. Got to look out for those vehicles. Timing, making sure you've left enough time to get your hike in. Yeah, hazard. And then we get to my top three. Are you ready? Yeah, Tony Aldred's top three of hiking um, hazards. Here we go. You ready? Number one, leeches. Yeah. <laughs> I love a 
hybrid leech. Snakes, <laughs> it's getting better. And navigation, yeah? Leaving me with one unanswered concern, okay? This book's great. It's got lots of good information on it, really cute symbols, maps and everything, right? Nowhere in the whole book does it mention toilets. <laughs> Day hikes. I've had children. I'm going to need one of those occasionally, right? I'm so concerned, right? This isn't going to end well for me, all right? I have visions of me somewhere in Tasmania covered in leeches being hunted by killer snakes in search of the lost toilet. <laughs> yeah. I find navigation just in my everyday normal life a challenge. Um, I'm one of those people that's kind of terrible with street names. I'm super visual, like really visual. I know streets by what's on them, not by what they're called, okay? Buying the ASX, my car, was a huge mistake. Do you know how many silver ASXs there are in Tasmania? <laughs> yeah, I'm the one in the car park clicking my key as I walk up and down to see which ASX lights up. Oh, there it is, that's mine. <laughs> Navigating the whereabouts of my car was so much easier when I had a big gold RAV. I was probably the only gold RAV driver in Tassie, and it was so much easier for navigating my car. So as a family, if we're going to attempt hiking at all with the killer snakes, leeches and lack of toilets, we're going to need to think very carefully about our navigation, because I get the feeling from the book that some of these trails aren't signposted very well. And I'm concerned that every so many metres, we're not going to come a great big arrow that says, hey, well done for getting so far. Yeah, good on you. Keep going. You're heading in the right direction. Leaving navigation up to me could be a potential risk. And so to our passage for the day. Now, if you're taking notes, I'm reading today from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So Jesus has clearly been out hiking and a large group of people are with him. And so he sits down and he begins what we so often refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the largest collection of Jesus' teachings in one space in the Gospels. Jesus' teachings are found all throughout the Gospels, but the Sermon on the Mount is unique because it's three continuous chapters of Jesus' teachings. And what is it that Jesus teaches? Well, I might begin by telling you what is not. It is not a list of requirements that you must live up to so that you can receive your salvation. Your salvation is a free gift from God. For it is not by works that we are saved, Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, or we'd only boast about how great we did and how much we deserve it. Salvation is a gift. It is the work of God it is a free gift, freely given. So what then is the Sermon on the Mount? Well, you know when you climb to the top of a mountain, what do you see? 
Don't you see this gorgeous vista sort of just roll out in front of you? Well, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of like that. It's Jesus' view. It's his dream. His dream for what his community of followers will one day be. The Sermon on the Mount is a sneak peek, if you like, into what the heavenly community will one day look like. So you could say that what we're looking at in the Sermon on the Mount is a picture of the mature Jesus follower, our hero or role model, someone we might aspire to be. And just like how beautiful the view can be from the top of a mountain, the view of the Sermon on the Mount can also be totally overwhelming. But that's what makes it inspiring. It's someone I can aspire to be when I finally become a grown-up. Or as Door of Hope likes to call it, a Jesus-centred, others-focused person. It's the goal of the Jesus follower or disciple, making the Sermon on the Mount the navigation tool or the arrow pointing us in the direction we should follow if we aspire to be counted as a member or disciple of Jesus' community. Here at Door of Hope, our mission is to be Jesus-centred. And so the teachings of Jesus, Jesus' dream or his view for his community of followers, we value very highly here. And so having our heads around this teaching is kind of recommended. And so I thought so too, until I started my two-week study on this passage. I mean, have you heard lately (laughs) some of the things Jesus has in this teaching? His expectations or his view is really high. So for me, my week of study began like this, okay? You ready? Day one, the Beatitudes. They're so gorgeous. I mean, they're almost like poetry, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I wonder how pure my motives often are. Salt and light. I mean, uh, how beautiful is that? Steve did a great job preaching on salt and light last Sunday um, last Sunday evening in the 5pm. Great. Who doesn't want to be light on a hill for everyone to see? How good's that? Uh, maybe me? Hello? As someone who kind of identifies himself as being a little bit of an introvert... <laughs> be a light on a hill for everyone to look at. That doesn't exactly make me feel comfortable. (laughs) Day three. It's getting better. The law and the prophets. I love the word of God. It's my favorite thing. But as the teacher of God's word, how often do I really live up to what I preach? Day four, day five, day six. Whose idea was this? 
So often, when I find myself in this sort of tension, I need to walk it out. Not hike it out, walk it out. As a part of my everyday faith, I am an early morning walker. I like to begin my days with the Lord as the sun rises over Launceston. It's a great time for me to pray and gather my thoughts for the day. So I put on my sneakers and I hit the walking track. You see, I had a problem. Last year, we met John Dixon, an Australian theologian, who invited us to see grace at work before an invitation to obedience or response was made. In our um, Doubter's Guide to the Bible series last year, if you remember it, if you missed it, I'm sure you could find it online. It was a really good series, or I highly recommend his book, actually. It's well worth a read. Well, my problem here was, where was the grace in all of this obedience, right? Because I'm just feeling overwhelmed with standards, expectation, I can't do any of this. Is there none? In the Moses-Israel story, before God invites them into a life of obedience or response, he gives them this really nice little intro to remind them of his grace in rescuing them from Egypt. Reading from Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 to 6, says this, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Grace had so much gone before these people. They had seen the miracles that he'd done in Egypt. They'd crossed the the Red Sea on dry ground. They'd been led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They'd been fed on manna in the morning and quail at night. How much would they have known God's grace before he even mentions his desire for how he'd like them to live together in community? But here, with the Sermon on the Mount, there is no nice little intro reminding us of God's grace for us. Do you remember how it started? began a little bit like this. Matthew, verse, chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Now when Moses, when Moses, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So Jesus is on a mountain, he sits down and he starts to talk. That's all we got. Obedience, expectation, high standard, that's all I could feel. And I just knew that I just couldn't live up to any of this. So a few days later, I was chatting with a friend about this, about this tension, and she just lovingly reminded me, Tony, she said, Grace is sitting on the rock, Grace, Grace is sitting on the rock. <laughs> God had bent down and touched earth. 
He'd left all of heaven and glory behind and he'd wrapped himself up in the skin of Jesus and entered our world. Remember what it says in John chapter 1, verse 14? The word became flesh and made his dwelling or pitched his tent among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And in this world, Jesus walked out this dream of his right in front of us. Jesus literally walked out before us and alongside us his teachings found here in the Sermon on the Mount. You see here Matthew, the author of the Sermon on the Mount, is wanting us to see that Jesus is the new Moses and he has literally practiced perfectly what he is now preaching first before he invites any of us into living this dream with him. Remember it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And as firstborn, he is the role model, the hero, the view that we aspire to be. And right in front of us, he leads the way, shows us how. Grace going before us. And now he sits here on this dirty old rock, inviting each of us to join him, walking out this dream together alongside him. And notice, not just alongside him, but with the disciples and the crowds that were also present. Jesus doesn't ask us to walk out this dream alone. God had announced right back in Genesis 2 that it was not good for man to be alone. It's interesting to me that alone as I studied the Sermon on the Mount, I began to feel awful. But when I invited a good friend into that conversation, grace was revealed to me, sitting on a rock, ready to do life alongside me, showing me the way, and peace in my ongoing days of reading returned because I now saw I was not alone in this. Not only do I have Jesus to walk alongside me in the partnership of the Holy Spirit, who is also God, to guide me, but I also have other disciples, other Jesus followers around me to journey with because for me, (laughs) to make the Sermon on the Mount possible... I know I'm going to need the fellowship of the Spirit and the community of others to help me navigate Jesus' dream. Because as a community here at Door of Hope, our mission is to not only be Jesus-centred, but also together in community. And it is only with these two things hand in hand that we will ever be able to see Jesus' dream for his community of followers become real. So over the next six weeks, we're going to be viewing the words of Jesus as he invites us all into his view, into his dream for his community of followers. And it's kind of exciting, really, because we're about to get a glimpse 
a little sneak peek into what the heavenly community will one day look like. And this teaching, it points us forward, navigating us to the pathway that we should choose to follow for growth and maturity. So can I encourage you during this series to please be inspired, to be inspired by the view Jesus has for his followers. And yes, yes, this will probably make you feel a bit overwhelmed. So please invite Jesus daily into your journey and let him lead you into where he's already walking before you because I can guarantee that he is already at work within you. Remember in Romans 12, verse 2 from the Message Bible, it says this, Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. He'll be, you'll be changed from the inside out, readily, rec- readily recognising what he wants from you and quickly responding to it. And like the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity, God brings out the best of you develops well-formed maturity in you. So please be inspired and allow the Spirit to lead you into what he's prepared for you as your next step of growth. Not because your salvation depends on it, but because you're inspired to be better. And let someone else into that world, maybe a close friend or, or a partner or maybe even your connect group, You could spend some time chatting about, you know, what you admire most in the Sermon on the Mount. Or you could just spend some time encouraging one another, you know, in what you already see growing in each other. It's not good to go hiking alone in the mountains. You're going to need a hiking partner for this one so that you don't get lost alone in the woods of Jesus' standards. And please remember grace. Because you're going to have days when you totally feel like you are nailing this Sermon on the Mount thing, yeah? But you're also going to have days when you really, really feel like you don't. And I'm so grateful that on those days, I can lean into grace. Because his mercies are new every morning. And when I'm willing to own my failures and ask God for grace, he totally doesn't give me what I deserve because he delights so much in me. He's so generous. Instead, he offers me himself, his forgiveness, his life and his love. And sometimes even a second or a third or a fourth or sometimes even a fifth chance. Now, if this is a new idea for you and you're not sure what we mean by being a follower of Jesus, at the end of the service today, there will be some lovely people down the front here who would just love to answer any questions that you might have or even pray with you about something.
or you might like to get in contact with one of our Alpha team. And if you'd like to do that, the information desk can help you with that. Or if you're really keen, we also have a book on sale today written by Nikki Gumbel, who wrote Alpha. It's called The Jesus Lifestyle, and it's all about the Sermon on the Mount. And if we as a community will listen and put into practice these words of Jesus, we will grow to be like wise builders, as the Sermon on the Mount concludes. Reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. May we all, over the next six weeks, choose to navigate our way through the Sermon on the Mount wisely, together in community. Amen.